It's the Locked On Canes podcast where it's all about the U. My name is Fred Purdue. I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined by my co-host Cam Underwood on a very good Thursday, a throwback Thursday. What's going on, Cam? Nah, man, I'm hanging out. So uh, I had a day off from the mysterious day job and everything. So I've been, well, not chilling necessarily, but uh, not doing that. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm good hanging out. How about you? Man, we know you chilling in the Batcave. I don't know why you acting like you weren't chilling in the Batcave, man. Man, I'm over here working, man. I got so much stuff I got to do for early signing period. I'm behind on my on my content creation, so there's not been any chilling really going on. I mean, it's been relaxing, like sitting and typing on a computer, but like it hasn't been, uh, you know, going to Sawgrass Mills Mall or just like chilling at the beach or anything mm-hmm. like that. At least mm-hmm. not today. Uh huh. Uh huh. I got you. I got you. I got you. So today is a Hall of Fame Thursday. That's what we're going to coin this thing. And before we get into that, we're going to let's get the housekeeping out of the way. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Canes. Follow us also on IG at Locked on Canes. Follow Cam on Twitter at Underwood Sports. You can follow myself on Twitter at Fred Purdue CFB. That is P-E-R-D-U-E, not the school. Also, as well, make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app, iTunes, Stitcher, Podomatic, any of the above, or any of the other ones. Like, subscribe, give us five stars. Appreciate it. So, we have, today is going to, we've coined this thing, Hall of Fame Thursday, because we had, the Miami Hurricanes had a Hall of Fame coach, finally where he needs to be. Uh, we had some other Hall of Famers that were kind of inducted into this Hall of Fame thing. And I have to say, Cam, I've been to the College Football Hall of Fame. I've told you this before, this story. Mm-hmm. I've told, told you guys this story before. But if you haven't been, it is a college football junkie's heaven. I mean, it took me three and a half, maybe four hours to go through it, and I didn't finish. And you can find those those pictures and all of that if you want to see it, have a preview of it. You can go follow me on IG, too. Same thing, Fred Purdue CFB. Just a little bit of a touch of it, an idea of what you'll get. Uh, but, Cam, they have a wall of helmets. And you see every single helmet to ever exist. And, you know, you, you get you just get into this thing. I mean, my wife went with me. And she's not a college football junkie, and she was into it. So if she can get into it, I know you'll get into it. You got to go. Yeah, no, I, I've been to Atlanta a couple times. I was actually over there right next door uh, when I went with my, my choir back uh, when I was a choir director on a trip there. Uh, but we went to CNN and Coca-Cola instead. I tried to step away and get over to the CFB Hall of Fame, wasn't able to do it. Uh, and then the other time that I went, I went for a specific event, so I didn't get over there for that either. Uh, but the next time I go, I'm definitely going to go. I've seen the wall of helmets. It is massive going. There's like a three-story staircase that goes behind it. So if, you see the, if you're listening to this and you look up the picture of the wall of helmets, and you see, okay, it's just like a bunch of mini helmets. Oh, no, 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 no. No, it's not. Not so it's, fast. It's, exactly. Like, go back and, and look again and notice that there's stairs behind that that go up. Uh, like two stories, I want to say. So it's pretty massive. Uh, but no, that's definitely something on my list of things to do. And, you know, it gives me an excuse to go see my homeboy, Phil Jones. Who? Phil Jones in Atlanta. So, yeah. So we have this whole Hall of Fame thing. And just the the 2019 Hall of Fame, 
uh, College Football Hall of Fame class was released. So just to highlight some of those those players, there were there was College Football has this thing where there's so many players, it takes forever for guys to get in. So some of these names are from back in the day, and you may not notice them. Uh, we'll start off with those people from up north. Uh, Terrell Buckley, Florida State defensive back, he was pretty good. Uh, also, uh, Ricky Dixon, Ricky Dixon DB from Oklahoma. Also, you have London Fletcher. Uh, from John Carroll in Ohio. He was a very good player in the NFL. So uh, Jacob Green, uh, offensive lineman from Texas A&M. Torrey Holt, greatest show on turf. Uh, wide receiver. NC State. Yes, NC State. Uh, Rocket, uh, Rocket Ishmael. Um, I don't really give too much credit to those guys. Um, whatever that school is up there. Uh, Darren McFadden, you know, he was one of the, the all-time greats as far as running backs is concerned. Might have He had his Heisman stolen from him, too, just putting it out there. Who won it that year? That would have been 07. That would have been – was that – he would have – that would have been – I don't remember. Who won it that year? Now that, now that you say that, he would have oh, – man. You know who won it that year. Oh, that was that other guy, that guy at Florida. Yeah, that guy at Florida. Yeah. Yeah. Jake Plummer, quarterback, Arizona State. He was okay in the NFL. Uh, Mr. Um, Mr. Hair Commercial. Mr. Uh, Troy Palomalu, one of the most dangerous safeties in the NFL. All That's what we know him for. We know him for just destroying people and being a headhunter and doing whatever he wanted at USC, too. Uh, he was one of those guys. He was a really, really good safety. Joe Thomas, offensive lineman, Wisconsin. He's going to be a Hall of Famer in that other, in that NFL Pro League, too. You know, that thing where he played on a bad team forever. Probably could have went to a good team, but he decided, yeah, him. And, like, literally never missed a snap until he tore his um, tricep. And exactly. And then his career ended. Exactly. Like a, like a snap. Like, think about that. As an offensive lineman, a left tackle, playing on a bad Browns team his entire career after just being – ridiculously dominant in college, obviously, you know, because of College Hall of Fame. But, man, yeah, Joe Thomas did not miss a snap in his NFL career, and then he went down with a torn tricep, and that mm-hmm. was it. You know, when, like, when we think man. of Wisconsin offensive linemen, I think he was one of the first guys to really make people say, dang, Wisconsin, Wisconsin has some really man. some really good ones. I mean, really he, elite he was ones. He just he immediately went to the top of the list. Is what it is. This is true. Um, I don't know that he was uh, the first. What was that man's name? I'm trying to look it up. Um, but yeah, he was. Joe Thomas was not the first. He was one of the first. One he, of the first. He was early. I mean, because you were. Wisconsin was still putting in linemen to the NFL from like the whole 90s with Barry, uh, Barry Alvarez and all those guys, you know, or the, as the head coach and things like that. But, yeah, Joe Thomas was just clearly the best, like straight away. Even among a group that was good and serviceable in the league, he was just different. Yes, he was very different. He's gonna be a he's gonna be in that pro football hall of fame at some point. Maybe what was it? if he he retired last year, so 2018, so 2023, maybe a first ballot, maybe just maybe. Uh, but moving on, Lorenzo White. Running back, Michigan State. That's more of your wheelhouse. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, Michigan State. So go green, go white for those uh, for my home state that are listening. Uh, 
he was I was young when he was there. I want to say maybe he was before my time. Eighty four, uh, eighty seven. Oh yeah, no, I was real young. I was yeah, yeah, real, <laughs> real young. Uh, but Low White's from Fort Lauderdale. Matter of fact, he went to Dillard, I believe. Really? Um, high school. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, I thought he was coaching over there. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Lorenzo White. And yeah, yeah, he's from. He, yep, exactly. I was right and right. Boom. He attended Dillard High School in Fort Lauderdale, and then he went to Michigan State University. So boom, off the top of my head, hundred percent right about Maurice. Uh, sorry, Lorenzo Maurice White. Um, but first round draft pick by the his whole government just just whole go, full government. It's on Wikipedia. <laughs> it's right here on, in front of my computer right now. Um, but no, yeah, yeah, definitely uh, heard the stories of him at Michigan State. Um, all my my Spartan friends. Uh, and their, you know, parents who watched him play live, uh, you know, extolled the glories of his his game on the field and everything, and he's earned that. So, you know, congratulations to him. And he's local, so you know, that's another uh, South Florida player going into the, or South Florida native, I should say, going into the uh, College Football Hall of Fame. Boom, boom. Patrick, one Patrick Willis, Ole Miss. Uh, he played from 2003 to 2006. One of the most dominant linebackers I can remember over time, and his career got cut short in the NFL, but he was the closest thing I've ever seen, at least to Ray Lewis, and I don't give that I don't give that to anybody. Yeah, no, Patrick Willis was a beast. I mean, just an absolute beast. I think he wore 38 in college, or like some weird number, but then he wore 52 when he got to the league with mm-hmm. the 49ers, you know, as an homage to Ray Lewis. And like you said, he played – very similarly to uh, what Lewis did. So, yeah, you know, that's another guy who, to me, is a no-brainer to making it in. He'll be one of those guys. He'll be a double Hall of Fame kind of guy. The guy that I have to highlight at the end of this list, he played in the greatest college football game of my young lifetime. He completed the the one beatdown that I actually called – uh, this this one game, the greatest the, the greatest game, and I've said Alabama Clemson one and Alabama Clemson three were both pretty darn good. But gotta put I gotta give it to Vince Young, despite what he what happened to him post Texas. Vince Young put together one of the greatest shows in a two year period and against one of the greatest teams I've ever witnessed. Uh, he, I mean, he was everything I would ever want in a college quarterback. And he was my introduction to the spread option, you know, attack. I mean, you never, we hadn't seen a six, five quarterback move like that. And he single-handedly beat a USC team that should probably be a three-time national champion. Yeah. I mean, USC, they, they did have a comedy of errors in that Rose Bowl. Uh, you think about Reggie Bush with that ill-fated lateral attempt in the middle of the field on at the end of a 40-yard gain, you know? So, like, you flipped the field already by what you did. Why did you get greedy and try to go showtime? Uh, in the middle of a whole bunch of Texas defenders, you know, they, you know, missed a couple things. And, you know, uh, Texas had speed, man. You know, you had some guys out there, and they were obviously the national champions undefeated that year and played really well. And, you know, Vince Young, man, he was just – it was crazy. He he was just so good. It was one of the best performances that we've ever seen. And you knew on that last drive, he said, unless he throws the ball away on a pass where, you know, USC does something exotic on coverage or he makes a diving play, if that would have been the only way that the ball was going back over to USC, you know, because like if, if, if Vince Young was going to run the ball, then you knew what was going to happen. He was going to score. He was going to find a way. And that's, you know, what ended up happening. And, yeah, I mean, he was 
six five and like it didn't even look like he was running hard. He just it was he, gliding. He gliding, exactly. That last You know, it was almost like you know, if you see or it was almost like from an RPG, like uh, a video game from like the nineties, if you had like a, a witch character or a princess or something, you know, back when video games were bad, so mm-hmm. like you didn't see the legs moving, it was just the character gliding across the screen. Right, right. That's what it looked like when Vince Young ran. It was just like he had and then he, he ran by like you. a deer. I mean he I mean what he was But it was by you though. Yeah. He ran by people and you know, the one thing, and granted, I have to, I always say, Keith Jackson, um, rest his soul, um, he was one of my favorites as far as announcers. Most people don't know this. I don't listen to any game with volume. So, Keith Jackson was one of those. Ever? Ever. I don't, I hate commentary because it, it sways my opinion of the game. So, it can sway your opinion of the game if you're listening to these people talk. There are very few people, one Tony Romo, one... Uh, at one time, John Madden for a while, and Keith Jackson. Keith Jackson told a story every single game, and it was like you know that Rose Bowl game was everything for me. So, and I was and at, at that time, I was probably that was oh five oh six. I was a, I was a, like a sophomore in high school, so I was just like I was into it. Like I was really into it. I'll, I'll put it to you like this: the difference between the guys that you mentioned is Keith Jackson did play by play. And those other ones did color. And I can see why, you know, okay, the color guys were, you know, quote unquote, telling you what's going on or diving into the plays and things like that. That's where you get the analysis, which can kind of, you know, skew your viewpoint. Mm-hmm. But Keith Jackson, no, he just had an amazing voice and an amazing quality just to paint the picture of what was going on, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, there's very few who, or his level of, of great. And, I mean, even if you look across sport, you had, you know, Ernie Harwell for the Tigers when I was growing up. You had Harry Carey for the Cubs, uh, Vin Scully for the Dodgers, you know, some other guys out there who just were able to paint a picture with the way that they weave their words. And, obviously, uh, Keith Jackson was one of those uh, who was able to do that. So, yeah, listening to him uh, call a game is one thing, listening and paying attention to any of those other uh, people who are very good at their job, mind you, but who are doing color commentary as opposed to play-by-play uh, calling is, is a little bit different. Definitely, definitely. Uh, we do have two coaches that are being inducted, and we have a star of the show, so I'll save him for last. Uh, but we have Joe Taylor, uh, 233 wins to only 96 losses and a, and four ties. That's a 70.6 percentage win percentage. Uh, he was at Howard from 1983. Uh, he also was at Virginia Union from 84 to 91, Hampton at ni- in 1992 to 2007, and FAMU uh, from 2008 to 2012, the great Joe Taylor, uh, one of the greatest to do ever do it at the HBCU. Uh, I was going to say, okay, HBCUs, I see you, because yeah. I, thought, I thought that's who you were talking about, mm-hmm. and then you went on to, like, you know, quote, way more games, and I was like, okay, wait, I, I mean... Forgive me, but I didn't know that he had coached that long before FAMU. Yeah, um, that's what he's synonymous with is FAMU, yep. Right. So I was just like, oh, maybe I'm thinking the wrong person. But no, yeah, I mean, but shout out to him. You know, worked at four HBCUs. You know, in my teaching career, I worked at three inner city schools, you know, giving back to – and I mean, I'm, I'm black, if y'all don't know. So uh, working in uh, black and brown spaces is something that meant something to me. And, you know, shout out to Joe Taylor for doing the same thing at the college level, coaching for many, many years at many different great uh, historical institutions. So uh, congratulations to him. Definitely big shout out to him. Um, the star of the show. We, this is where the Canes connection comes in. 
And for me, I, I've heard so many stories, good and bad. I've heard various nicknames for this guy, but uh, he is the one thing you can say about him is national champion. You can never take that away. Uh, that's one Dennis Erickson, 179 and 96, one tie, 65 percent winning percentage when he was he was at Idaho from 1982 to 1985 came back in, in 2006 he was also at Wyoming in 1986 uh, he was also at Washington State at, from 1987 to 1988 uh, he was at Miami obviously from 89 to 94 beating one roll tied Alabama team for a well you know you know uh, also Oregon State for yeah, for a championship. For a championship, yeah. You know, championships. Championships. Um, mm-hmm. Oregon State, 1999 to 2002. And, of course, Arizona State was his last stop in 2007 uh, to, through 2011. And he was actually on that Utah team a couple years ago as an off- a co-offensive coordinator, if I remember correctly, with one um, – I can't remember. The quarterback's name escapes me, but he beat Alabama. He was the only undefeated quarterback to actually beat them. He was – I can't remember his name at all. I will remember it once this show is over with, and I'll probably come back and, you know, throw it back in there. But um, shout-out to Dennis Erickson. I mean, I've heard many stories. He's had his time in the NFL and all that great stuff, but we know him as the college football head coach that is now – uh, finish the deal. I feel like if you get a national championship as a coach, you should probably get in that whole Hall of Fame thing simply because you're a – simply because you want, you did one of the things that not many people can do, win a national championship, and for – at a major university with so much turnover. And he was in – he was he was in that at that time right after Jimmy Johnson. So he really – it was like I have a – it's like your dad gave you a Ferrari. Don't crash it, son. That's what – like that's what – all the players say he had the keys to a Ferrari and all he had to do was not crash the car. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he, <clears throat> excuse me, he succeeded in that, uh, not crashing the car, obviously. Um, a two-time national championship head coach at Miami in 89 and 91, by the way. So not just one ring, but two. Uh, but, yeah, I agree with you. You know, when you win um, a national championship, I think that that should be your automatic pretty much ticket to the College Football Hall of Fame. Because if you look at it, you know, there's so few people who win them, and especially in this era where we've had coaches win multiple, mm-hmm. you know, you're keeping everybody else from them. So, I mean, if it's Urban Meyer has, like, what, three? If you three. have Nick Saban has a boatload, you have Dabo Swinney with a few. Mm. Do we have any other ones currently active? Um, Not that I can think of. You know what I mean? Like, But think about thinking, all the great going, coaches that have been back, there. Yeah. There's not a lot. You know, lot. Mark Richt won a lot of games. No national championships. No Steve national. Spurrier, okay, he won one. But, I mean. Jimbo has one. Jimbo Fisher has Okay, one. Jimbo has one. All right, so that's your, like, outlier pretty much, you know, right now. And, but, yeah, I mean. The and, li- well, he's not a coach anymore, but technically he's, he was on the, he was the offensive coordinator, Gus Malzahn. He was on. Yeah, the, but that's not head coach. Yeah, he wasn't head coach at the time, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, Chip Kelly, he revolutionized. Uh, modern football or in this era recently, you know, when he was at Oregon and they went to, you know, doing the Oregon thing with the, you know, spread offense, you know, running and throwing and all the uniforms and everything, blah, blah. He's a guy of serious note through the 2010s for what he did there. No championship. So even these guys who are like monstrous in the sport of college football, whose names are iconic for this era of football, many of them don't even have a championship. 
just because there's so few coaches who do end up winning them. So I say all that to say Dennis Erickson won two, put my dog in the Hall of Fame, and they are this year. So congratulations, Coach. And, you know, if just if he had stayed, you know, that coach at FIU – who, who his players like to fall down. Had he stayed and done what he needed to do by staying, I'll say it one more time, staying where he needed to go instead of going to Siberia, which is in the NFL, Cleveland, he would have been in this on this list too. He would have been, but again, he made a choice to step up. I know that you disagree with it. I don't understand why since you talk about NFL almost more than you talk about college football on this podcast, but I digress. Yeah. But he wanted to go up. He wanted to try I'm it at the top like level. That, man. I'm selfish like that, man. I'm just selfish like that. Look, he wanted, he, he wanted the shot at the big job up top. He got it. He shot his shot. He missed. Okay. But, yo, you got – I mean, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Shout out to Michael Jordan. So, Butch Davis went and he took his shot. He tried. He did – Steve Spurrier did the same thing. Steve Spurrier left a championship program in Florida to go to the, to the Washington uh, team, National yeah, yeah. NFL team. So he left on top. Chip Kelly, same thing. There's other guys, same thing. You go and you try. Even Rob Chudzinski, when he left Miami to be that offensive coordinator at you know there uh, for Butch Davis. Look, he could have stuck around. He could have been a college head coach. He could have been you know things like that. He could have done all those kind of things. But sometimes you want to go and try something new, and especially in an industry that has multiple levels for you to elevate, you want to go try to elevate. Butch did that, and unfortunately for him, it did not work out as successfully as it had previously for Jimmy Johnson. But I don't fault him for the attempt. And last but not least, I don't want to put any disrespect on this man's name because we just talked about the greatest national championship performance I've ever seen personally. And Vince Young, well, he was tied to that guy at North Carolina and Mac Brown. He has one. So, got to give him got to give mm. him credit. He's a current, he's the one current guy. No fair. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, and actually, no, there's another one, Les Miles. Even the, the grass eater. That's right. He does have The one. grass eater, yeah. It, 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 but, so you got five, six guys mm-hmm. with a title this year out, or who are currently coaching mm-hmm. in head coaching roles out of 130 Division One teams. Exactly. It, it's a very hard thing to do. And, you know, I always say these guys, they're the elite of the elite. And when they're gone, you know, I, I, I hear all the time, I hear the, the chatter from the Bama people. Fire Nick Saban. I'll take Nick Saban tomorrow. Go ahead and fire him. I'll, I'll Again, I, I see where they're coming from. They are irrational. They are. Look, I will but write that man. They are singularly focused on perfection. I, I will take. They want an undefeated national championship season every single year. And if you fall I'll short take one of that, lost national you championship fail. seasons all day long. Give me five, Nick Saban, please. That's a whole other story. That's a whole right. different day. But, um, you know, we're, we congratulations to all of these guys that are – uh, going into the call co- into the mecca of college football, and again, if you've never been to the College Football Hall of Fame, I don't work for them, but I'm just letting I'm just a shameless plug. Go to that College Football Hall of Fame; you will not be disappointed. We will be talking about Miami players. Who is your favorite Miami player that maybe hasn't made it into the Hall of Fame? We'll kind of recap some of the go- some of those people that are in there from the U on the other side. All right, so. We have Miami players that maybe should be in the Hall of Fame, will go to the Hall of Fame at some point. Cam, who, some of these players, we have some guy. We have nine people uh, in the, in the, currently in the Hall of Fame. We're not going to go through every single one, but some of the more. Run down the list. Right, I mean, just give them the names. right. We, we got, don't have to give them the whole background. Whole, okay. Yeah, so just give them the Jack list. Harding, he was a coach. Uh, Andy Gustafson, a coach. 
Ted Hendricks, a great at both levels, uh, defensive end. Don Bossler, a fullback. Don James, he was a quarterback, but he was inducted uh, for, as a coach for the University of Washington. Benny Blades, that name sounds very, very, very familiar. That's that's Miami Hurricane family royalty. Uh, Arnold Tucker, quarterback, he was also at Army. Gino Toretto, does that name sound familiar? Maybe a little bit of a lot of winning was done there. Uh, Russell Maryland. Of course we know who Russell Maryland is. Jimmy, the great Jimmy Johnson, uh, Vinny Testaverde, and one Ed Reed, the greatest safety to ever play at the University of Miami and also in the NFL. Yeah, no. So, I mean, there, there's that. And I was waiting for this to say that Ed Reed was clearly better than Troy Polamalu and anybody uh, from Pittsburgh who thinks otherwise. Oh, of course. Well, you know, of hey. course. But if people still want to say, oh, yeah, <clears throat> you know, why are you talking about Ed Reed in a way that you don't talk about Troy Polamalu? Because Ed Reed was better than Ed Troy Reed Polamalu. Ed Reed was Miles. And, and, unlo- and Troy Polamalu was really good, yeah. but, like, come on, fam. He was really good, but no. The Ed Reed was – Ed Reed played about four different positions, and we just didn't know it. I mean, he, he could play right. corner. He could play safe. He was your. He was an instant kick returner. I mean, he could be a kick returner, punt returner, and if you happen to throw a pick to him, oh well, you're going. You're giving right. up points. I mean, he, Sad days. he. And this is where, um, you know, I, I should just mention if you haven't seen it, look up the video. It's on YouTube and Twitter about how Ed Reed intentionally played that coverage wrong. Oh, for I remember a that season and a I, half. I do remember to trick. That. Peyton Manning, yep. in thinking, oh, this is how this coverage goes. No, 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 no. I'm just so good that I know what the coverage is. But every time we call it, I'm going to play it wrong so that when we play you, because you're watching a film, I'm going to play it right, and I'm going to be there to pick the ball off. Where he I, he was in the – he would drop down in the box and then just haul yeah. tail back and, oh – Ed Reed. Right, I'm middle of the field, and yeah, middle field close, but everything. But you're playing cover two, so you shouldn't be in the middle field, but whatever. Then all mm-hmm. of a sudden, oh, no, no, I'm not playing middle of the field. I'm going over there and getting that ball. Thanks. You know, I've always, the one thing I've always said is when they start comparing people to you and they're looking for the next one of you, that's when you know you're the great. You're the GOAT yeah. of whatever position. Like, we're Bingo. still looking for the next Michael Jordan. I know this isn't basketball, but we're still looking for him. I know Kobe was good, but, well, you know, he, he was never Jordan. Well, here with this, I mean, there we're still, I've seen, what, three or four guys have come into the NFL, one uh Malik Hooker, who came from Ohio State a couple years ago, they tried to compare him. Buddha Baker from Washington, they tried to compare him. So you're still looking for young guys that have traits. They have traits, but none of them are you. They're they're not they're not even close to being the remix. And that's when you know you are a all time great. Ed Reed, the one my one memory, and I will kind of move on, but my one memory of Ed Reed was him snatching. Uh, he snatched the ball out of his teammates' hands against Boston College. That Matt Walters. That was just as a kid when you see that. Again, you're a little bit older than me. I'm only I'm 30, yeah. so that would have put me at about maybe. That was about 2000. Fall 2001. Fall 2000. That would have put me in about early sixth grade. So I'm a middle school kid, young middle school kid. You, seeing that, you're like, oh, my God, what happened? Like you rewind it multiple times, and this is before YouTube. So there's, I mean, you if you didn't see it the first time, and we didn't have DVR, if you didn't see it the first time, you had to wait on the highlight to come back. I mean, it was, that was just, it was dope to me. Yeah, I mean, I remember that day. Uh, we were up on my my floor, which was uh, penthouse Walsh Tower Twelve at the uh, Stanford dorm at the University of Miami, and 
everybody was, you know, quiet in our rooms watching the game because, you know, it was a tense moment. And, you know, Mike Rump, your current cornerback's coach, mm-hmm. jumped that slant route, hit off his knee. Matt Walters, the defensive tackle, tracking back, catches it. He's going to get tackled. Ed Reed comes around. You hear Ed uh, screaming, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball. Takes it from Matt Walters, returns it for a touchdown. And, like, we literally felt the tower swaying because everybody was just going crazy on our floor and every single floor. It was a, an iconic moment, so it was pretty cool. So we're the objective here, we have we, we know who the current Hall of Famers are. And you have a litany of players. I mean, a and we're not talking NFL anything. Nothing about their career here at this point. We can include their NFL things because, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So we're only talking about college uh, accomplishments. If you had to give me one offensive player and one defensive player, who would you put in the Hall of Fame from the University of Miami? Am I giving you both? Am I giving you one? What, 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 what are we doing? We'll go back and forth. So you go give, give me your offense first, and I'll give you mine, and then we'll, go, we'll flip over to the defense. My offensive player is going to be Santana Moss. Wait. Santana Moss was a dynamic receiver, return man, kickoffs, punts, um, everything. He was just uh, the all-time career-leading uh, receiver for Miami in terms of yardage, I believe it was, because Reggie Wayne had in terms of catches. Uh, even though they were teammates at the same time, so that's how Miami used to throw the ball so effectively. P.S. and aside, you had the leading receiver in terms of catches and the other one in terms of yards on the field at the same time, but this current Miami team can barely score 20 points a game. I digress. Anyway, Santana Moss, um, he was just the heart and soul of this team. He was five foot nine. But that didn't matter because he would run by you. He was, you know, he came here, uh, you know, the legend on a track scholarship, uh, and that's how they, you know, before the NCAA closed a couple loopholes, is how he was able to come and not count as a football player. But he he walked on and everything, and just showed out from the first day he was there. Obviously, after beating my, uh, Florida State for the first time in six years, uh, my freshman year in 2000. Santana Moss quoting Rohan Marley talking about big time players make big time plays in big time games and that's what Santana Moss did his entire career and so that's my submission for a player on offense from the Miami Hurricanes to be inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. You know when we came when I thought of this segment I said you know this one's gonna be tough because there's so many great so many I mean if you just if I stayed in the running back room alone yep I could, I mean, it's like being a yep. kid in a candy store. If I went to the receiver room, well, it's the same thing. The tight end. Wait, room. I, I, I'm, I'm honestly just thinking about new guys because see, I'm, see, see. And for me, I, I stopped myself from even going down that mental path because when we were communicating about what we we're going to talk about today, I went with the first guy and the first guy because I believe that's where I should have gone. But if I lend even another second's thought, oh my God, the list of oh come on. Exactly. So I'm going to keep this very, very easy, easy peasy, simple. It's not Frank Gore because, I mean, that was potential. But when we're talking players that should should be in there that are, are not in there, I got to go. I got to go with um with one Willis McGahee, man. I mean, if, if there's not a knee injury, one, he should have probably had a chance at a he should have probably won a Heisman. Let's let's kind of stop there. But on top of that, his knee injury completely I mean, he was already killing it in the national championship. I still blame refs. I want to know who that ref was that threw that flag. But he I mean, he dominated a team that I mean, we probably should have dominated that game the rest of the way. His injury changed that whole game. 
So Willis McGahee would be my one guy. And I know that was kind of far left field because maybe you're thinking Andre Johnson, Reggie Wayne, Jeremy Shockey, Greg Olson, Duke Johnson. I mean, do, can I, do I need to keep going? I mean, I could keep going. Bubba Franks. The, Bubba Franks. Edron James. Edron James. I, I didn't even get to Edron James. Ken Dorsey. Ken Dorsey. I mean, Brian McKinney, who won the Outland Trophy and Brian never gave McKinney. up a pressure or a sack. Exactly. So just think how many people. Heck, I mean, we haven't even gotten to the defensive side. So this is how good Miami has been, and I need it to get back this way. That's where I'm kind of going with that one. All that talent on one team, and it was they all weren't five stars. Let's just put it out there like it is. They were not all five-star recruits. So, Willis McGahee would be my offensive player. And my defensive player, you know who I'm going with, right? The man, the myth, the legend, one Sean Taylor. Okay. Okay. I don't even have to tell you about him. We already know what he is. I mean, you know, he's still hitting people in his own, in his grave. Right. Um. That is definitely a player, or Sean Taylor, God rest his soul, is a player um, for what he did in college that you could easily make the case for. And I mean, you don't even need to because, like we talked about with Ed Reed in the previous section, or at the beginning of this conversation, you know, like people are still trying to compare any safety of size of 6'3, 6'4 height to Sean Taylor just Uh because he you know, was iconic. He made all those plays. You can think back to the interceptions and touchdowns that he had against Florida State in the rain that year, uh, all kinds of other plays. Turning that he guys made. inside out, ending their lives. Yo, yeah. that, yeah. I mean, the, the, the Pro Bowl hit against Brian Mormon, mm-hmm. the punter running the fake punt. Brian Mer- Mormon still wakes up in the middle of the night cringing. Just I mean, so. honestly, like that looked, I mean, you talk about, you know, football being a collision sport, that really looked like just a Mack truck hitting another that's why punters don't take road. off anymore <laughs> exactly guys like that except for lou headley that one time oh lou he headley's a linebacker he's just playing because he's him. massive he's, you know exactly <laughs> but yeah most guys don't so uh i understand uh with that so that is a great choice my choice is going to be dan morgan that he was my the, second choice you're in my playbook today absolutely not i'm over here doing my own thing but dan morgan is the most decorated mm-hmm. linebacker at the college level for the history of the Miami Hurricanes. Yes, even more decorated than Nate Webster, than Ray Lewis in college. Not at pro level, but in college. Dan Morgan is probably the best linebacker in college. I mean, one of that we've ever seen. And definitely for the Miami Hurricanes. If I remember, Say again? he made a clean sweep of all the defensive trophies when he was. Yes. Yes. He's, and he's the only guy to ever do it. The Buckus Award for linebackers, the Benaric Award for best defensive player, and the Lombardi Award, I want to say. On the same season, no one is no Miami Hurricane has ever done that, other than Dan Morgan, who was a you know multi-purpose fullback slash linebacker from J.P. Terravella in Coral Springs, Florida. This high school that's a big school, but like they don't they don't really produce athletes at J.P. Terravella Senior High School. You know what I mean? Like that's not a hotbed for recruiting. There's probably a handful of other players who have gone maybe low-level D1 or D2 from there, you're maybe looking at, you know, other sports. You know what I mean? Maybe some baseball. Maybe some something else. But a football player and a big-time football player and an iconic award-winning who swept all the defensive awards in his senior season, first-team All-American, first-team All-Big East, all-everything player from J.P. Terravella, you'll never see that again. But even regardless of where he came from, Dan Morgan's work on the field was exemplary par excellence, and that is why he should be in the College Football Hall of Fame. 
Sir, that was a I, – I can't – I couldn't do that better if I could. So, um, yeah, that was – I mean, Miami is – we have that whole running back, tight end, linebacker you thing still – I mean, we still put them out. And I think people get it mixed up when you say, oh, you're whatever position you that you're only putting out first-round picks. That's nice that some school – that you can do that, but it's not realistic to think every every three to four years that's what you're doing. But – if you go to Miami, you'll say there's always going to be a line. You can expect it every three to four years. There's somebody going to come out of Miami, and they're going to be pretty darn good. And that is why you call us linebacker you. I get it, Penn State. You think you have that. I get it, Alabama. You think you have it. I get it, Iowa. You think you're ready to take the crown for that whole tight end you thing. Wrong. Njoku, Brevin, Jordan, Will Mallory might be that guy, and well, I don't want to speak anything into existence, Darnell Washington. Stop it! Mm. See, I couldn't even I couldn't even say it before you said it. Mm. Mm. Well, you know, I'll put it to you like this: here, as good as Brevin Jordan is, there's an argument to be made that Will Mallory has higher potential for. I know. NFL. I, I've been wanting to say that, but you know, I've been told I've been told on Twitter that I, I say things that are way left field. I don't want to That's say- not left field. I'm not saying that it's 100% assured. But if you look at his physical size, if you look at his history as a wide receiver, mm-hmm. you know, you look at where his, you know, because Will Mallory's 6'5", and Brevin Jordan's 6'2 and a half, 6'3", maybe. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if you're looking at that and everything, like, there is a case to be made. I'm not saying that it's 100%. I'm not saying that I even necessarily that support that. that I'm just saying it's a point of conversation. That P word is every now and then it works. When it's in our favor, it's always great, right? So when we're talking, and this is a good way to transition into this thing, um, we're going to little recruiting news, but Brevin Jordan was one of those top guys. Will Mallory, remind us, remind me, Will Mallory wasn't a he wasn't a five star guy, right? So no, he wasn't. He was more Will Mallory. Will Mallory was only two hundred pounds. He was a small guy, yeah. So he played wide receiver. So he was like a um, a developmental tight end. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he was 6'5", 207 uh, as a high school recruit. So, I mean, they had him at a four-star. They listed him as tight end. Uh, but he really played wide receiver. If you look back to the uh, film from Jacksonville Providence, like, you know, I mean, he was like, he was playing your ex-wide receiver. Like he was on yeah, the edge he's, he's just all day, guy. every day. He's a big guy. You know. But he was, you know, the number eight tight end overall, uh, number 37 player in Florida, and a two two eleven overall in the country, Will Mallory was coming out. So, I mean, he was highly touted. Like, that's rarefied air. We're almost top 200, or, you know, your top 250, almost top 200, your single digits at your position. And the state of Florida just has so many prospects that even if you're top 37 or top 40, you're still a really, really great, great player. But even with that being said, Brevin Jordan was a five-star number one tight end in, in America that year. So as good as Will Mallory was, you had the best player prospect that position coming in in the same recruiting class. So as we kind of put a ball on the show and we kind of get ready to take you into the next, into the early signing period, we'll kind of talk a little bit more about some, some recruiting news on the other side. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDON. Listening on the go? If you can't visit DoorDash right now, you can find this and all other offers from LockedOn sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. All right, so you are our 
Cam, you are the recruiting guru here at the, on the Locked On Canes podcast. So, is there anything that we should be keeping our eye on, or any recruits, maybe an Antonio uh, Antonio Brown that was uh, decommitting? Do, should be should we be worried at all? Antonio Smith. I'm sorry, Antonio Smith. I do apologize. Uh, Antonio Smith. Uh, well, should we be worried at all about anybody? Leaving or maybe even getting a certain commitment from a certain tight end who could maybe replace Brevin Jordan one day. I have a prospect crush, guys. I don't think I said that. I don't get those often. I have a prospect crush on one tight end who is in the state of Los of the in the state of Nevada. Yeah, um, Antonio Smith. It was uh, reported from Andrew Ivins at Two Four Seven Sports a while ago that Miami told his coaches and him uh, that he should keep his options open. And that is, hint, 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 we're probably not going to bring you in this year. Um, so it, coaching staff and program cannot discuss players by name until they have signed. So Miami could not openly say, we dropped this kid. It was incumbent upon Antonio Smith to put out the iOS press release, to put the, you know, to say something concretely and he waited and waited and waited and finally did so no i'm not concerned about that miami has been planning to move on from him uh for quite a while um whether that's on field performance whether that's academics there have been rumors of both but either one being the foundation it is fine because you should be able to go get some guys uh in this class to replace him uh now to your point or your question Nothing is finalized until they sign. So you can always have a level of skepticism about you when considering recruiting. That is just all, that always happens. You know, if you think back to the whole Brandon Powell situation when he flipped during a dead period and enrolled early at Florida and then tweeted out hashtag gotta feed the fam, um, you know, and you can infer from that what you want. But I mean, like, he, <clears throat> Miami was expecting him to show up in Coral Gables to enroll in January. And then he tweeted that out and was like, actually, hashtag no, I'm going to Florida, see you, bye. Like, you know, the Alex Collins situation where... I remember that. That was a crazy situation. That was a crazy situation. If you don't remember, he was coming to Miami the entire time. Uh, All-American from Plantation High School in Plantation, Florida. All of a sudden, comes down to the end, he's going to Arkansas. Um, that's all that I feel like saying about that, but there's more to that story, and if you know, then you know. Uh, but his mom absconded his letter of intent and said she, and because, you know, when you're uh, signing a letter, you do need parental uh, permission on there. So there's a place where you sign, a place where your parents sign. She refused to. And so she if stole you're under his, 18. If you're under 18. Eh, I see 18-year-olds with parents signing also. But okay, fine. Okay. Either way. Either way. She stole his NLI and said she wasn't going to give it back because he's going to go to Miami, and that's the only one that I'll let you sign. And so he had to, like, go get his dad, who was, like, strange from the family, to, like, show up and sign his NLI to go to uh, Arkansas and everything. So, I mean, strange things do happen in the world of recruiting. So just let that be known. Now, official visits start today on Thursday, as we're recording this, and they move through Saturday or Saturday night, Sunday morning. That's because on Sunday, at the end of the visits, you go to a quiet period and then you go to a dead period where there's no contact or on campus visitation 
in the days uh, Monday and Tuesday preceding Wednesday's early signing period. So, you know, there's going to be a bunch of guys on campus this weekend. Most of the commitments in this class are coming down. Guys like Tyreek Austin Cave, Corey Flagg, Romello Height, Daz Worsham, and Jalen Harrell are not taking their official visits this weekend because they've taken them to Miami already. So they could show up on unofficials if they wanted to, but Miami's not bringing those guys in for officials. But there's still a boatload of guys. Tyler Van Dyke, Don Chaney Jr., Jalen Knight, uh, Xavier Strepo, Mike Redding III, Dominic Mamorelli, Jalen Rivers, Chance Williams, I'll skip that one coming back, Chris Washington, Quentin Williams, Marcus Clark, Brian Balaam, Keyshawn Washington, and maybe a couple others. So all those guys are coming down. There was uh, Chris Morris from West Memphis, Arkansas, who is committed to Texas A&M just recently. He was scheduled to come down for a visit. This is the guy that I told you about earlier, and I finally found the piece. Bud Elliott interviewed him at a recruiting camp last spring. And this is the guy who said the one school he wanted to hear from was my me And he said it like that. Miami didn't offer him until October, which happened like 10 days before he took an official visit and then uh, committed to Texas A&M. Jimbo Fisher tried to get him to cancel that visit to Miami, and it seems by current reports that they were able to do that and block him from coming on his visit to Miami. So there goes a forced offensive lineman who was slated to take a visit who now won't, I believe. So there's already been movement this weekend. Uh, if you're talking about the guys who might visit, Jaden Francois, who is Keyshawn Washington's teammate at South Dade High School in Homestead, Florida, is coming for an official visit this weekend. This is a familiar name for people because Jaden Francois has committed to and then decommitted from Miami two different times each. So he did it in and out when Mark Rick was the coach, committed, then decommitted when Rick retired. He committed again when Manny Diaz was hired and then decommitted this year. Um, Many people thought that he was decommitting earlier to go to Ohio State, but Ohio State apparently is full of defensive back. So now he's between Miami and Nebraska, where he visited last weekend. We'll see. I know that <coughs> some people are saying they don't want Jaden Francois in this class because he had not one but two chances, and then he dipped out on both of those. Jaden Francois is good enough where I want him. He tied a Dade County record in 2018 with 12 interceptions in the high school season. He played corner. He's going to move inside to safety, but he has flexibility where he can play some man-to-man -man interior defense uh, in pass coverage. He's a guy that I would take. The other one that is considering a visit, but I'm not sure, is Darren Branch. Another familiar name, he's from Amite, Louisiana, uh, and he was committed to Miami, but then he decommitted and flipped to Old Miss because reportedly his grandfather's in ailing health, so you, he wanted to be somewhere closer to home. But since Old Miss fired their coach, Matt Luke, He's now considering flipping back to Miami, which is where he really wants to go anyway, as opposed to his family pushing him to stay closer to home. So he may or may not take an official visit. And Darren Branch took an unofficial for Paradise Camp and another unofficial, but he's not taking an official visit to Miami yet. So he has the ability to come down and do that if he sees fit. So that's the landscape here. Did you have a question or did you want me to stop or what? Well, for me, abroad, again, I have one prospect. I have two prospect crushes. They're kind of – Oh, I can get there. Uh, we, well, go ahead. Let's go, let's go before we kind of wrap this whole thing up. We can go to my prospect crushes. I have, I have one. I'm not really solid on two, but I do have one. That is one Darnell Washington uh, tight end. I mean, 
I, I I've been I did a deep dive on his film. Like I've watched everything I can find on him, mm. and I don't ever do this. I've I mean I haven't done this on anybody that has been recruited to Miami ever. But there's he has this this innate ability to get open, and it doesn't matter. It, I get it. He's six seven, six eight, like two sixty. That's you're supposed to be able to get open against high school people. But he's running away from people, and he's running routes that tight ends shouldn't be able to run with the fluidity of a small receiver. And when you have that ability. That doesn't just go away in high school when you go and put on a little bit of a little bit more muscle in college. You don't really that doesn't go away. So I've seen he was was he was on a visit to Miami, if I'm correct. I saw that on social media. Should we be a little a little happy that he's here and maybe he commits and makes a makes a makes everyone happy? Yeah, so Washington was on his visit to Miami last weekend, and he's going to Tennessee this weekend, and that was one of the away game visits of a prospect going elsewhere I wanted to talk about. We'll see what happens. I don't know if he's going to commit here. Um, Miami is in that final group, obviously, having gotten an official visit. Washington came down with his young child and his girlfriend, um, maybe fiance. I believe somebody said that they're engaged, so we'll see. Um, But, yeah, so his visit's different because he's, like, considering – his family because he has a child and a girlfriend slash maybe fiance so like he's coming down in looking that way like can he live there can his family survive here and everything uh, and thrive not just coming down with my parents because yeah you know like i'll hang out with mom and dad look at academics they'll go to sleep we'll go to the club and everything like you know it, it is a little bit different so uh, he'll have that same kind of experience at tennessee this week uh, and then we'll see what happens so he could come here he might not um I would say Miami probably has about a puncher's chance right now with Darnell Washington. Um, but, you know, stranger things have happened. And my and last but not least, um, Justin Flo. We're just going to get to it. I mean, Justin Flo is, like I've said, he's the closest thing I've ever seen to Willie Williams. And he is the, I mean, he, somebody just cloned Isaiah Simmons and put him back in high school. That's just pretty much what, he, what they did. So, Justin Flo, what's up? Yeah, Justin Flo, another guy, five-star, who's taking an away game visit, as I like to call. He is taking a visit to USC, um, which is his local team. Uh, Upland is, uh, you know, near – it's a suburb in Southern California. So it's not necessarily, like, right outside of L.A., but it's in that area. So it is interesting because USC is recruiting right now. This class is a dumpster fire for them. They're, like, ranked in the 70s in terms of the recruiting class. There's a time in the not too recent past that there would have been no way that a player of Justin Flo's caliber from a area that has close proximity to Southern Cal would have gone anywhere else. Um, even with teams, you know, in the SEC <coughs> and whatnot winning championships, these guys invariably used to go to USC. Looking at a John Houston, looking at any five stars around in that area. So him taking a visit there, has that historical significance, I'm not really sure that C actually has the juice right now to get a Justin Flow, which is crazy to think about because it's USC and how they recruited Southern California. 
but it would be the biggest win for Clay Helton since he found out that he was keeping his job this year or going into next season if they were able to get Justin Flo. I still think that Clemson probably leads. I still think that, you know, Miami maybe has that same puncher's chance uh, with Justin Flo as they do with Darnell Washington. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm largely viewing this visit by Justin Flo to USC as ceremonial and nothing else. Yeah, I, I had a conversation with a, with a reporter – uh, kind of off the record though, uh, with about USC, he actually he was talking to one of their, uh, one of his coaches, Justin Flo, that is, and he kind of had some insight on it, and he was even saying like he could end up there, but I just I don't I don't think so because of what USC's been going through. I mean, USC is yeah. I've, I've said this before, USC is the West Coast Miami when it comes to winning and losing, and how th- those they're how they've gone up and down over the last, I don't know, 20 years or so, has been very similar. I mean, they've had very similar tracks. And right now, well, Miami is 6-6, six and six and they were uh, they stumbled into 8-4. and four. I just I see a lot of the same similarities, and you have a, a coach that probably shouldn't be there. And if he just somehow finds a way to save his recruiting class, that may buy him another couple years simply because you have one of the top mm. – Top prospects. I don't think he's going to buy him another couple. Might got buy him one, not a couple. I and and see also. I see, I see a, a certain head coach from Ohio State being for a former Ohio State head coach being uh, a USC head coach at some point. Not saying any names, not throwing any sources. I'm not doing. I just this is my personal opinion. I see that happening at some point, and well, it doesn't help. That doesn't help Clay Hill now. My opinion on that is I believe that USC reached out to that person and maybe a couple other people to gauge whether they USC could get them right now. And they were met with lukewarm to cold response to those inquiries. And then that's when they were like, okay, no, or Clay Hilton's going to be our guy next year. Uh, yeah, because I think they, they went and kicked the tires and the yeah things didn't go the way that they wanted. But that's just me. In terms of recruiting, though, the last couple of things I wanted to say were these. Keyshawn Green, four-star linebacker who was committed to Florida State, may take a visit to Florida State this weekend. Um, he's allowed to take a second official visit there because they have a new coach. So you can take, you know, and we did the same thing last year when Manny Diaz took over and had a bunch of guys back for second official visits. Mike Norvell, their new coach of Florida State, has made Keyshawn Green a local uh, panhandle resident. Uh, a number one priority for him uh, in to get him back in this recruiting class because you need good players. So we will see. I think that Miami did make a big move last weekend for Keyshawn Green. We'll see if uh, Mike Norvell is able to to stave that off and uh, get Florida State back in consideration. Danico Slaughter is uh, from South Georgia, uh, or Roswell, Georgia, excuse me, and he's committed to Arizona State. Miami brought him in last weekend for a visit, but he's a safety, and honestly, we would take Jaden Francois and or Darren Branch before we would take Danico Slaughter, so that's the last time you're going to probably hear me talk about him. Auburn made a late run at Romello Height, the DN from Dublin, Georgia, who's committed to Miami. Um, Gus Malzahn went in home with him. You know, they're saying, hey, you know, you already took your official visit to Miami. Come on down to, you know, the Plains, go see Auburn the weekend before the early signing period. And they pushed hard, but Manny Diaz was able to stave them off, went and did it in home with Romello Height, who then tweeted out, he said, nope, I'm done, no visits, no nothing, I'm signing with Miami, come Wednesday the 18th, boom. 
And that's a big win. Excuse me, because Romello Height is a guy who, you know, you need good players on your team. And he's a blue chip defensive end who has a propensity to get after the quarterback, get upfield and wreak havoc. You need those guys. Because, like we talked about earlier, Jonathan Garvin has elected to go to the NFL. So you need somebody to replace him. You might only have one more year of Gregory Russo. So you don't need just one, you need multiple. That's why you bring in a Chance Williams and a Romello Height and, and, and. So getting him and keeping him in this class is great. Um, and, yeah, I'd love to see that. The last one is Florida State um, tried to get Jalen Knighton, who was previously committed there, to come back for an official visit this weekend uh, coming up. But instead, uh, Jalen Knighton from Deerfield Beach, uh, your second leading all-time career rusher in Broward County history with more than 5,000 rushing yards in high school, has decided, nope, uh, I'm over that, off that, moved on upwards and forwards to better things. So he will be among the group, uh, large group contingent taking their visits to Miami this weekend. So he's your newest commit to the group and he's also coming down this weekend and told Florida State and their new coach, Mike Norvell, thanks for stopping by, enjoy your ride home. I'm gonna be a hurricane uh, and that makes me happy as well. So there's always other things that could happen. There could be secret visits both to Miami and elsewhere. Um, those, if they're good, they come out at the end of the weekend, not at the front. So those people who said, oh, Fred Davis, the five-star from Jacksonville Trinity Christian Academy, who's committed to Clemson, he's on campus at Miami, and they were talking about it on Friday night. That's not how those things work. And Fred Davis was in Miami, but he was in Miami for Art Basel, which I went to an event, and I can tell you it was awesome. If you've been to Miami for Art Basel, you know what I'm talking about. But Fred Davis, he was down there to go chill and kick it. He was, and that was in the city of Miami, not on campus in Coral Gables either. But there have been secret visits, uh, and they, you know, do you usually do find out about them? Jay, uh, who was it? Jerry Judy went to take a, a secret visit to Miami, lat, whatever year that was, a couple years ago, and that came out like the end of that first Friday, the end, the, the, the end of that day of the first day of the visit. So, I mean, things could happen, but we just kind of have to stay tuned and see which way things go. Yeah, we definitely will have to stay tuned. Uh, early signing day is going to, is on the 18th, which is next Wednesday. So we'll be kind of we'll be all over that thing. We'll be having some special guests on to talk some more recruiting with the Miami Hurricanes. And you guys just have to stay tuned uh, to the Locked On Canes podcast, which you can do by following us on Twitter at Locked On Canes. You can also do that on Instagram as well. Same. Uh, tag at Locked On Canes. You can find Cam on Twitter at Underwood Sports. You can find myself on Twitter at Fred Produce CFB. That's P E R D U E. Before we, as we put a bow on to the, on this week, just remember, guys, we are we kind of scale things back just a smidge. So I know you guys are probably wondering where where have we been all week. Uh, we'll be scaling this thing back to maybe two to three episodes a week since we are in the off season. Uh, we'll kind of uh, ramp that thing back up going into the the spring period where we have some more. Uh, we have actual football on field things to talk about, and of course. Uh, as the full offseason comes, we'll be back to – we'll probably do some – we'll pop in every now and then just to keep you guys abreast of everything that is going on uh, with the Miami Hurricanes. But until next week when we have official – we have pen to paper, and you know when pens to paper, it's all good in the hood. So we'll be talking a little bit more Miami Hurricanes next week, right? So make sure you guys stay safe over the weekend, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Go Canes.